Hey guys, my name is Lisa M. Waring and this is Real Talk, a podcast where I discuss movies and TV more extensively and how art imitates life, imitates art. Today we're going to be diving into the historical drama Flaming Hot based on the true story of Richard Montanez, the man who gave us hot Cheetos. Based on a true story in Hollywood terms means liberties have been taken. So keep that in mind. And as always, spoilers ahead. Let's get into it. We begin this film in an upscale restaurant with an older, distinguished-looking gentleman sitting at a table, and we immediately hear a voiceover. So there is narration in this film, but it kind of works for it. The narrator tells us that this distinguished-looking gentleman is him. He is me. I am him. Richard Montanez, and the journey to how he got here is an interesting one. We flash back to 1966, where we see a young boy, Richard, playing in a grape orchard with his siblings. He's carefree, he's having fun, living it up. Then we see him at home, tinkering with some toys. Well, not toys per se, like tools, equipment. He's in his father's things. While he's tinkering, his dad basically busts open the door and starts rolling on him like, why are you my things? Don't touch my stuff. And we get a pretty clear picture that his dad is very hard on him. Mm, Borderline abusive, hard on him. Things aren't so great for him at school either. He is a Mexican kid in a predominantly white school in the 60s. He sticks out like a sore thumb. But then he meets Judy and they instantly click. She's another survivor. And when he says that, the narrator, you see that there's just a little bit of a bruise peeking out from underneath her sleeve on her upper arm. And you realize, oh, they both come from very aggressive families. Now, I'm not sure because it wasn't the kind of the focus of the film, but this was not really touched on until much, much later and barely. Richard and Judy would eat lunch together and both of them would be packing homemade burritos from their parents, which didn't go well in the cafeteria with the other kids, especially the bullies. And they kind of wish they had bologna sandwiches like the other kids. No, you don't. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Hey, if you like bologna, that is your thing. Great. But if I had to pick a bologna sandwich or a burrito, I'm going burrito every time. Every time. So the bullies made fun of them for what they were eating. And one day, Richard comes to school with two homemade burritos from his mother. And this time, when the bullies start ragging on him, he's like, why don't you take a taste? And he offers him some. And surprise, surprise, the bologna sandwich ain't got nothing on that burrito. Instantly hooked. Those kids were like, give me some more. You know, what's the, okay, never mind. Now, the thing we learned early on is that Richard is no dummy. He instantly saw a lucrative way the burritos could serve him. He starts bringing in school a bunch of burritos and starts selling them 25 cents each. That's pretty good for the 60s. And he is racking up them coins. And just like that, he had a successful little entrepreneurial business. 
You can't beat me up if you want to eat my food. Very smart. So after he racked up enough bills, he decides, let me surprise Judy because she loves chocolate and candy. Let me go to the store and get her some. And that's what he does. Except it doesn't really go well. He goes to the counter, loaded up with candy, and pulls out his money. Right behind him, there's a police officer. Bruh. And he's questioning, wait a minute, who did you steal that money from? Not where did you get that money? How did you earn all that money? No. Where did you steal that money from? Who did you steal it from? Typical 60s. So Richard, I mean, he's still a kid. You know, we're like, what, maybe 10, 11? I'm not really sure. They don't really express it. But he's kind of frozen. He's like, uh, he, can't, he can't talk. The next thing you know, the cop is putting him, a little boy, in the back of the police car. And the narrator says, when the world treats you like a criminal, you become one. Where's the lie? We cut to Richard, who by now is, I believe, in his early 20s, running down the street with stolen property, a bandana on his, around his forehead, and he's being chased by the authorities. He tells us that this is the time in his life where it's the 70s and there is civil unrest. Brown people are being targeted by the police, are being sent off to the Vietnam War. Yeah, not really a good time for any of the brown and black people. Vietnam is a real sore spot for a lot of people. Not going to get into the politics of that war, but yeah. There was a whole like Chicano movement happening, but Richard wasn't focused on that. He was focused on Judy. Yeah, they're like together together now and his crew and for him that was his family they were making a life of crime work for them until judy gets pregnant nothing like a baby to wake you up and reassess judy instantly went into mother mode she was like oh we can't continue to do this richard took a little bit more convincing he gets caught in a stolen car and is standing in front of a judge who thankfully is not trying to end his whole life, but it's more giving him a pep talk, telling him, you know, to do better, which Judy's also doing the same thing, telling him, hey, you got to do better. We have a family now. The judge gives him leniency. It doesn't really specify how much time, but he's able to be home with his newborn baby. Richard's sitting outside of his house on the porch, just you know, relaxing, and then his crew pulls up, and they're like, yo, Richard, let's go, let's hit these streets, let's get it, and Richard looks at his crew, and he looks through the window at Judy and his baby sleeping on the couch, and he realizes this is that moment, that one of those pivotal moments where you make a decision that changes the trajectory of your life, trajectory, trajectory, that's such a weird word, trajectory, you get it. So Richard stands up. He looks at his crew and then turns around and heads into the house. He made his choice. A better choice. But better does not mean easier. It's now 1982. Richard and Judy have two boys and they're trying to make life work the honest way. But it's rough out here. Their fridge is broken. Lucky, who is probably seven or eight, he's got talking shoes. Judy actually has to put some chewing gum in between his soles to keep them together. They're doing the best that they can. So Richard takes his resume and he starts going on interviews. And remember, this is the 80s. There's no emailing. There's no 
filling out forms online. At this point, he can't really fax anything. He has to physically go into each job, hand in a resume. And we're watching him go from job to job to job. It's a little bit disheartening, but that's how job searchers can be. We see Judy, she is selling homemade tortillas in front of a store and she's got the two kids with her. Now, Lucky, we said Lucky's like seven or eight, but his brother is a toddler. So she's literally holding her toddler in her hands and she's, you know, trying to help the family sell these tortillas. Then Lucky accidentally gets the gum on his shoe stuck on one of the cars. And we see the owner of the car coming out, this older gentleman who immediately is pissed. And he starts getting in Lucky's face. This grown man is getting in the face of a little like nine-year-old telling him, there's, you know, respect people's property, blah, 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 talking all this mess. And Judy is like, whoa, hold on. You can't talk to me about something like that. And then he turns there and he goes something about blah, 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 wetback. Oh, oh, you're one of those, sir. Okay, I see how it is. And he gets in his car. Richard gets wind of this because he's inside the store trying to hand over his resume and bolts out the door as the man is driving away, trying to catch him, and Judy calms him down. She says, no, 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 no. We can't afford for anyone to call the police. And he has to concede that she's right. I can't even imagine how much restraint it took for him not to wall out on this guy who was literally like yelling at his kid. Don't yell at people's children. We do not want to see the ugly side of a mother or father. They need to feed the kids, but they don't have any money and their fridge is broken. So Judy tells Richard, we're going to have to go to your parents' house. The kids need to eat. Richard is not happy about it, but he agrees. And they head over there. They're seated at the table. Judy's talking to Richard's mom, telling her, yeah, I'm trying to pick up shifts, you know, to bring in money. And Richard's dad, Vachel, comes in and says, no, Judy, it's not your responsibility to take care of your family and provide for them. He turns to Richard. It's yours. What's wrong with you? Well, now I know why Richard didn't want to come home. Richard's back is against the wall, and he feels like he may have to go back to his old life of selling. When you have a record, it can be difficult to find work and earn money legally which is sometimes why you see people going right back to life of crime. The system is not really set up for you to succeed, but that's another conversation. He goes and visits his old crew and he runs into Tony, one of his boys, and finds out that Tony, you know, he's not actually in that life anymore. He works for Frito-Lay and Richard's like, oh, you gotta get me in there. Help me out. I'm trying to provide for my family. And Tony's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. The next day, Richard goes to the Frito-Lay, picks up application, and he's having trouble filling it out while he's there. So he decides to bring it home. Judy arrives home and she sees Richard at the table just sulking. She asks him what's wrong. And he tells her that he can barely read the application and it requires a high school diploma, which he never got. Judy says to him, can you do the job? And he says, yeah. And she says, well, forget the diploma. And she starts to help him fill out the application. This is why it is important who you choose as a partner. 
Richard goes in for an interview with the plant manager and they're having, you know, they're talking and the plant manager says, oh, you went to such and such high school? I went there too. Uh Uh-oh. And the plant manager goes, remember the principal? And Richard's like, oh yeah, he was the worst. And the plant manager goes, the principal was a female. Busted. Plant manager is ready to just be done with the whole interview. But Richard convinces him to hire him. He's like, listen, I can do this job. I, I'm determined. I have a family. I will work hard. And the plant manager goes, all right. It is just a janitor position. And he hires him. This is Richard's first legitimate job. The pride this man felt and exuberated, like he was so happy to be able to provide for his family. So Richard starts hitting the floor. He's checking things out. He's looking around the machines, the assembly lines, like he is interested in all of it. And he's curious about everything and how it works. And he meets Clarence, basically the head engineer. Clarence oversees all the machines on the floor and Richard is trying to track up a conversation, talk. Clarence is kind of stonewalling him. He's respectful, just not really chatty. Not sure if you guys can hear the lawn guys, but if you can, whoops, we'll just push through. At lunch, Richard sits with Tony and Tony breaks down the hierarchy of the company. Each table represents a different group. So you've got the plant managers. Those are the... 401ks, the popping bottles, dudes who have no worries. They rake in the cash. Then you have the floor managers. They have no job security and they shoulder pretty much most of the responsibility of the plant. And they're kind of bitter about it because the guys above them who do way less work make way more money. Then you have the machine operators, the blue collar workers who run all the machines. They have all the respect. And Clarence is the best one of them all. The lowest on the totem pole is the drivers, the packers, and the assembly line. And then you have the bottom feeders, the janitors. Let me just clarify, this is Tony's breakdown of the company. Janitors need to be respected. Respect the people who clean up after you. Anyway, it's just a bunch of clicks, like high school, because guess what guys, never really goes away. Anyhow, Tony tells him you don't break rank. So janitors don't talk to engineers, don't talk to floor managers, blah, blah, blah. Foolishness. We see Richard's father, Vachel, telling him, you can't mop floors forever. It's just falling on deaf ears. Richard has a plan. He has a goal. And he is going to make it to the top of this company one way or the other. And he knows he needs to learn from the best to do that. The next day at lunchtime, Richard goes straight to Clarence's table and offers him some food that's a really good way to go guys offer food he compliments clarence and he tells him that he wants to learn from him now clarence is giving him the stonewall face like okay but he invites him to sit with him see how food can wear down people you want to get on my good side food food is a great way to break the ice pro tip richard starts paying more attention to the machines and the gauges and he starts pointing things out to Clarence, impressing Clarence. Clarence then brings Richard on as his protege. Richard has to work in his off hours to learn more. So he is coming in early before his shift. He's staying late after his shift and he's learning the machines. He's watching Clarence, he's being taught. 
how things move and work. Richard is awarded Employee of the Month. Things are going so awesome. And then the Reagan years kicked in and everyone starts suffering. The factory included. We see a montage of layoffs, workers being cut back. All of a sudden, it's eight years later and Richard is in the same spot, still a janitor. It was the time of the snack wars. Competition was getting stiff. And the new CEO of Pepsi, Roger Enrico, was adamant about cutting costs, which meant that everybody's head was on a chopping block. Plant managers included. Everyone was struggling to feed their families and their homes. So Richard starts picking up extra shifts. And he starts helping out the delivery guys stock the shelves. And he's noticing a lot of lame flavors. And he's commenting on, like, the Cool Ranch Doritos. Like, who eats that? All right. All right. Cool Ranch is delicious. Relax, sir. Thank you. At lunchtime, the plant manager pushes in a TV of a message the CEO has for the company. Nobody's paying attention. Just Richard. And he feels like the CEO is talking directly to him and saying, we need innovative new ideas. We need to change. We need to start thinking like a CEO. And Richard takes that challenge. Richard picks up his sons from the bus stop and we see that, you know, they're older, obviously. Lucky has a black eye. And Richard's like, what happened? Turns out the bullies are giving Lucky a hard time and he is embarrassed to be a Mexican. He's embarrassed of his culture. I know it can be challenging in this world of people who want you to assimilate but we are different for a reason and we bring our own flavors to, to the world even when it feels challenging be proud of who you are where you come from and don't shrink yourself to appease to people who at the end of the day don't matter just saying he decides to cheer them up by taking the boys to get some uh, i think it's elotes 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 it's like mexican corn the youngest son, Stephen, starts saying how it's hot. It's hot. And he's like, okay, if it's so spicy, stop eating it. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's a good kind of hot. I like it. And Richard, light bulb, gets an idea. Richard starts telling Clarence about his idea to spice things up. And he even talks to his coworkers and gets them on board with the idea. He goes to Judy and he's like, I have this wonderful idea. I need you to help me with it. And she's kind of hesitant. She's like... Babe, we've been doing this a while. Nothing's happening. Let's do something different. She says, oh, you know, your father has an, a, a job for you. He says it's a good job. So they make a deal. Richard's like, okay, I will sit with my dad and listen to him if you help me. And she's like, great. So they go to meet up with the dad and his father's pastor, clergyman. I'm not sure the term. And turns out that wonderful job his dad was telling him about is being a janitor at the church. So no real promotion. Richard's like, I appreciate it, but I'm going to stick with Frito-Lay. I have a future there. And Bacho, his dad, is like, uh, no, you don't. This is a very bad decision. What are you doing? Richard kind of loses it. He's like, you know, I have had it. I have had it with you. And he tells the clergyman, you know, do you know this man? He beat me up my whole life. That's the mention that I was telling you about, the abuse. It's mentioned later on. This is where it's mentioned. He's telling the clergyman, yeah, you know, he's, you know, he's beating on me, but it's okay. I have a thick skin, you know, it don't hurt. What has lingered is his dad's voice in his head telling him he's nothing. He's worth nothing. And that is the fight 
that he has every day. That is the voice that he has to fight against every day that he hears. So Vachel does not like his dirty laundry being aired in front of his pastor, preacher, clergyman, whatever you want to call it. And he goes on the offensive. He's like, well, your wife lost faith in you. She went behind your back trying to get you a job. Yo, Judy ain't having that. Now Judy snaps and puts father-in-law in his place. She tells him, you don't speak for me. I never said any of these things. I never lost faith in my husband. And you know what? Don't come around until you're ready to be the father he deserves. Then she goes to Richard and she says, come on, let's put my voice in your head. Mic drop. Guys, I'm saying this again. <laughs> Choose your partner carefully. It matters who you have in your corner. They can either help you fly or make sure you drown. Money can get lost. Beauty fades. Make sure that love, that support is real. Just saying. Judy is determined to help Richard with his vision. They're hitting up all the local spots, all the local stores, getting all the best spices from their community. Meanwhile, in the West, they're trying to also make spicy chips in a lab with chemicals. Of course they are. So Judy... And Richard and the gang, they're, they're trying every different combination of spices. They're trying on the chips, on this, on that. They're going back and forth. They're continuing, continuing. Failure, failure, failure. And then spicy Cheetos are born. They're ready. So Richard goes to the floor manager and he's like, hey, I have this awesome idea. It is going to change things. But floor manager doesn't want to hear. He goes, man, just go back to being a janitor. Ouch. So Richard sneaks into the floor manager's office and gets the CEO's phone number. And he sneaks and calls him. And he gets a hold of the secretary. He convinces her to patch him through. This guy has a way with people. He just does. He gets on the phone with the CEO. And he tells him about his idea. And he says, sir, it's going to revolutionize things. And the CEO, Enrico, is like, okay. Send him over. So he and Judy, they go to the post office. And right before they're about to send the box of samples to the CEO, Richard says, let's pray over it. This is a big deal because Richard really wasn't about faith and any of that other stuff. So for him to suggest this, it was a big deal. And they sat and they prayed right there. And then sends off the Cheetos. Enrico receives the samples and he is very impressed. He gets Richard on the phone. He goes, hey, loving this. I'm going to be there in two weeks. Be ready. Word spreads quickly through the factory about what's happening. And instead of being excited, people are pretty mad and concerned. He broke rank. He went above so many middlemen to reach the CEO, which I got to tell you was a smart idea. Because in a lot of cases, middlemen either don't understand the vision, don't believe in the vision, or tend to steal the vision. Everybody's mad at him, telling him, yo, you're going to make us lose our jobs. He's going to come here. He's going to be mad how things look. And we're going to get shut down. He's looking to shut things down. What are you doing? Richard feels deflated. He goes back home and he's sulking. And here comes Judy. She tells him, forget everyone else. Just be great. And they decide to work out a plan. They go to the library. They get a bunch of books. And they are researching how to put a business presentation together. This woman's amazing, just saying. And Richard agrees. He's like praising her, telling her, hey, I wouldn't even be here without you. Thank you. And Judy tells him, 
I think it's time you talk to your father because he has been calling and calling. I think he really has something important to say. Would you tell Judy no? So Richard meets with his father. The most curious thing happens. His father tells him that he's proud of him. My dude, you could not have said this 30 something years ago? It took you this long? Better late than never, I guess. It's finally the day and the CEO and his board members show up and Richard starts his presentation off a little rough. He's nervous, looking at the index cards and then he decides to just speak from the heart, which normally works for him. And it works in this situation. He wins over the CEO. And CEO's like, all right, let's run this campaign. Let's do it. He puts another board member over the project and says, let's go. They get it together. They're packaging it. They're putting the product on all the shelves. And it doesn't move. No one is buying this. It's not looking good. The board member who was over the campaign tells him, we're going to have to pull it. Nothing's happening. And Richard is down in the dumps. He's like, man, all right, I guess we're just going to have to quit. And Clarence tells him the man I knew wouldn't quit. He'd find a way. So find a way. Listen, not just your partner, but those in your inner circle, make sure that they support you, believe in you, and speak life into you. And aren't afraid to tell you how it is. You need people who can tell you the truth. So Richard's kids point out to him that they didn't see any commercials about the new Hot Cheetos. Well, no wonder nothing's moving. You ain't marketing anything. So Richard decides that they're going to do their own form of guerrilla marketing. He calls up his old crew and gives this inspiring speech to all the factory workers, telling them, let's move this ourselves. Let's get this out there. This guy, he is a people person. He knows how to move the needle. I'll give him that. Everyone is loading up all of the remaining batches and boxes in their cars, in their trucks, and they're literally driving around the neighborhood, getting them out to the people. And people are starting to buy them in the stores, buy up all the batches. And these numbers reach Enrico. Now, let me just say that there's this one thing that the narrator does that um, I haven't touched on. He will tell you about a scene one way in his own way and then reveal how it truly happened which is a very nice comedic touch and so good. I'm not going to attempt to try to do it. So apparently the board runner who was supposed to be running the campaign didn't really put much effort into it. Shocker. So the CEO Enrico's like, Hey, get on board, get it done. And he orders 5 million more batches and these chips start going hard. Six months later and the factory is revived. It's full of workers again. People are striving. And Clarence is the new plant manager. But Richard is still the janitor. So then the floor manager tells Richard, hey, there's a, there's a mess up on the top level. We need you to clean up. And Richard's like, oh, man, like when is it going to be my turn? So he goes upstairs and psych, the CEO, Enrico, is waiting there for him in his own corner office. He is now the director over multicultural marketing. That is one hell of a promotion. The whole factory is surprised him and they're cheering him on. He goes in his office, he sees the, the, the view, he's sitting down, he made it. 
And what is the next thing he does? Calls Judy. Mm-hmm. His rock. Hey, baby, we all the way up. And then we cut to back to present. Where him and Judy, now in their older years, are leaving the fancy restaurant. And he is greeting every single person on the way out. The busboy, the waiter, the valet. He's tipping everyone, speaking to them. And the narrator tells us there's no such thing as just a janitor or just a waiter or just a busboy. You're more than your role and you can choose your own destiny. Post credits, Richard became the top executive at Pepsi slash Frito-Lay because spoiler alert, Pepsi owns Frito-Lay. Richard is responsible for launching an entire line of spicy products. And in 2019, after 42 years of innovation, he retires. Richard and Julie raised three sons. And Richard and Judy have been married for 48 years. She never left his side. I know that's right. I was shocked to find out that this movie was directed by Eva Longoria. I hadn't realized that she had kind of tipped her toe into directing, but she did a wonderful job. And this movie is based on the book written by Richard titled A Boy, A Burrito, and A Cookie, from janitor to executive. Final thoughts, this movie is heartwarming, it's inspirational, um, it's light, it's funny. Again, they don't really go dive into the abuse aspect too much, and I'm not really sure if he really did reconcile with his father. I haven't read the book. And again, this is Hollywood, based on a true story. I'm not sure how many liberties they've taken, but essentially... This is kind of what happened, I think. Hey guys, just want to jump in here with a quick note. According to several news outlets, there are conflicting reports between Richard Montanas and Frito-Lay about who truly invented the Flamin' Hot Cheetos product and came up with the name. One thing we do know for sure, Richard worked for Frito-Lay as a janitor and rose in the ranks to the role of an executive in the company. At least that part's true. If you enjoyed hanging out with me, please hit that like button, subscribe, ring the bell, notifications or whatever, and leave me a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Let's have a conversation. Oh, also, you should watch this movie. Anyway, till next time. Later.